let's uh, let's open a prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we just thank you for bringing us back here again this morning. Uh, Lord, the wonderful opportunity we have to gather together to to praise your name, uh, to consider what your word has to say. And Lord, I just pray that you would be with us as we continue to to study the, the heart and what it should be <coughs> as we look at um, our wills and uh, God, just the way that you have uh, designed us and integrated the, the various parts of our heart. And uh, God, I pray that we would set our hearts to seek you uh, and that, uh, Lord, just that these things would help us to understand things better and to be uh, more able to be obedient children to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we are continuing our study uh, on uh, understanding the heart. Um, uh, as I've said, I think every time um, in his book, With All Your Heart, uh, Craig Troxell identifies three aspects of our inner life that the Bible uses the word heart for. The mind, the desires, and the will. And at this point, we have uh, examined the first two, and so this week we're going to begin looking at the will of the heart. Uh, When the word heart appears in Scripture, uh, it is often emphasizing the will. uh, The volitional function of your heart that determines your thoughts, words, and behavior. Uh, God places choices before us, and uh, we must either choose to obey or to disobey. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 through 20. It says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. And so there, God presents the choice. You, you have to choose either to obey or to disobey. Choose life or death. And obviously the encouragement there is choose life. <laughs> Choose obedience. Um, that's the that's the smart thing to do. Uh, Joshua um, also, you know, presents a, a similar choice to the people of Israel. He says, uh, "And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." So there Joshua is saying, look, you've got this choice. And if you don't like serving the Lord, you make your choice. But this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve the Lord. See, he understood that that is, that is the way of life. So we can resolutely pursue what we know is right. We can waffle in ambivalence. Or we can cave before the pressure of a wandering heart. Your heart will either resist or submit to what you know and desire. It has to make a choice. And even if we refuse to commit and decide, uh, you know, and, and we decide we're not going to take any action at all, even then, the will is still involved. Uh, the decision to do nothing is still a decision 
in itself it's if you if you decide i'm not going to do anything that's still a decision your will is involved in everything you do even in action the will of the heart is what we choose even if we choose not to choose now the bible gives descriptions of both the disobedient heart and the obedient heart and we're going to spend some time looking at those descriptions that we find in scripture we're going to start with the the uh, the disobedient heart the the will that is uh is is set to disobedience to god uh, can anybody uh, just think in your reading of scripture uh, what what ways uh, the disobedient heart is described? There's some some really common ways that pop up in scripture. A hardened, hardened heart. Yes, absolutely. A hardened heart. You might call that a stubborn heart. One that just that just resisting <coughs> what God says. Um, anything else? I was thinking a heart of stone, which would be mm-hmm. the same kind of thing, but yep, that's in the same category there. Yeah, but yeah, heart of stone. A wandering heart. A wandering heart. Okay, uh, maybe. Yeah. I'm not. Troxel didn't bring that up, and I don't. I, I guess I don't know, but that's that's yeah. possible that that's in there. Um, a uh, a proud heart, uh, haughty, high uses that type of language. Um, that's that's something that pops up. Uh, quite frequently. Um, another one that comes up is the idea of an uncircumcised heart. Um, you know, one that is, is just still um, in the flesh, in the sin, um, and has not been, uh, that, that has not been removed. Um, and then it also speaks of a, of a weak and fearful heart. Um, those are those are specifically the ones that Troxel lays out, so we're going to look at those and uh, that's. I mean, I, I'll have to. I'll have to look and see if there's yeah. anything specifically for a wandering heart, but that could be. So, um, but just to begin with, uh, the, the stubborn heart, the hard heart. Um, Ezekiel chapter three, verse seven. Uh, but the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Um, so the, the sinful heart is stubbornly rebellious. It defies the Lord. Uh, it callously resists his ways and grows more and more uh, unresponsive. It's described as a heart of stone, as has been mentioned. Um, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, a well-known passage here, uh, where God says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. Like you know, sometimes in in scripture, you know, flesh is you know is the negative term. Um, but in this particular instance, you know, it's uh, it's the, the flesh is actually the good term. It's you know, it's like it's contrasted to a heart of stone. That's not it's not really what it should be. It's not what it's designed to be. Um, but we should have a heart of flesh, and God promises that uh, for his children, that he's going to remove that hard heart of stone and give us a soft heart of flesh that is willing to obey the, God, the commands of God. Uh, think of uh, Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. Um, that's you know kind of the prime example of somebody with a hardened heart. Um, he was commanded to let 
the people of Israel go. And in, as Moses began performing signs by the power of God, uh, it says in Exodus chapter 7, verse 13, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Um, so we just see that over and over again in that in that passage. It talks about Pharaoh's hardened heart just over and over uh, as the as the various plagues come upon Egypt, and that he was always just unwilling, just stubbornly unwilling to let the people of Israel go. And then even after he did let them go, his heart was hardened again, and he went after them to his own destruction. And we often think of a of a hard heart just in our uh, everyday language as a as a cruel heart, but it's um, scripturally speaking, it's it's really just the idea of a of a stubborn heart. Um, another example here, Second uh, Chronicles chapter thirty six, beginning in verse eleven, uh, it says Zedekiah was twenty one years old when he began to reign, and he reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against the king of Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. And so, I mean, that's what Jeremiah was calling him to, to turn to the Lord. And he, he just he hardened his heart. He stiffened his neck. Um, he was stubborn against that. Uh, Zechariah describes the stubbornness of Israel in this way, uh, in chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse 11. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. So, I mean, they're, it's, not, it's not just stone hard here. They're making their hearts diamond hard. Uh, they're just, they just are so opposed uh, to accepting uh, the law of God. Paul spent uh, three months in the, the synagogue at Ephesus. Um, and he was there in the synagogue and, and teaching about Jesus. Um, and eventually he was forced to move to a different location tells us in Acts chapter 19, verse 9, uh, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took uh, the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So there, and it doesn't use specifically the, the term heart there, but still you see that idea of just stubbornness, of just uh, a refusal to accept what God has said. Um, and then when uh, when he wrote to the church at Rome, he warned of the consequences of a hard heart. Romans chapter 2, verse 5, he says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And so there, it, it also it, you know brings into that idea of a hard heart that just a, an unwillingness to repent uh, of, uh, of sin. Sorry, slightly distracted because my battery went dead on my hearing aids. So if you say something, speak loudly, please. Um, but uh, but it, just that 
that idea of the impenitent heart, just refusing to acknowledge uh, one's sin and turn to God. And so that's that's one way that the heart uh, is, the disobedient heart is described, is a, is a hard heart, a heart of stone. And then we also have the idea of the proud heart. Um, Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15 for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the hearts of the contrite. And so there we see that God himself, um, he is high and lifted up. He is the one who is worthy to be high and lifted up. But the proper attitude of us is to have a contrite and lowly spirit. Um, the, that's the type of attitude that we ha- we should have. We're not we're not God. We're not worthy uh, of exaltation. Um, in fact, we're we're worse than just creatures. We are sinful creatures who have rebelled against God, and so we have no grounds for our heart to be lifted up in pride. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 11. Um, And here, uh, God is warning the people of Israel um, as they're about to enter the land of Canaan. And uh, he's he's basically saying, look, you need to be careful that your hearts not be lifted up with pride. So beginning in verse 11 there, it says, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God, by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And this is something that, I mean, particularly, you know, we live in a, a very prosperous nation. Um, it's, it's very rare to find uh, people who are really poor in America. Most everybody, you know, has uh, a means to live. Um, and it's, we, we are very prosperous. And it can be very easy for us to forget God and to be lifted up in pride and to be thinking about all the wonderful things that we have. Um, but that's not that's a that's a that's a sign of a disobedient heart. That's not the type of heart we should have. Hosea talks about this as well in chapter 13, verse six. Uh, it says, "But when they had uh, when they had grazed, they became full, and they were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me." Um, that's the danger. If our hearts are lifted up, if our hearts are full of pride. And we forget about God. Um, God is the is is our maker. He is the supplier of all we have. Uh, without Him, we would simply cease to exist. Um, and so, a proper attitude uh, toward Him is a is a humble heart. Um, Israel was given commands concerning the conduct of their king. Um, and again, you see this, this type of warning, similar to what he gave just to the people of Israel in general. Uh, but in Deuteronomy chapter 17, beginning in verse 18, 
And when he sits on his throne in his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, um, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. And so um, there, I mean, it's like we definitely see this in our own day throughout history that uh, that leaders of nations can be very tempted to be puffed up in pride. And the king of Israel was to have his own copy of the scriptures and was to read it and to understand his dependence on God um, and not to have a heart that was lifted up where he viewed himself as superior to the rest of the people of Israel, um, but to understand that he's just a, a sinful creature of God who is put in a position where he has a great responsibility to his people and not some great person. It's a, it's a very strong temptation for kings and other rulers to have. Uh, King Uzziah is an example of this. Uh, he began his reign well, and he did what was right, and God blessed him, and he became strong, and his fame spread far. Um, and then, in Second Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16, it says, But when he was strong, he grew proud. And literally, that's his heart became high. Um, and to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Does anybody remember that story where Uzziah went in to burn incense? Does anybody remember what happened to him when he did that? Azariah and some other men resisted him. I'm sorry? Azariah and some other men resisted them. Yes. And... Uh, he continued, and then God struck him with leprosy, mm -hmm. and they got him out of there immediately. Yeah, yeah. God struck him with leprosy for his for his arrogant heart, because um, he wasn't supposed to be doing that. That was not for the king to do. That was for the priests to do. But uh, he got to the point where he was just like, hey, listen, "I'm going to do this. Doesn't matter." Not an obedient heart, but a disobedient heart. Even outside of Israel, uh, God dealt with the proud in heart. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, probably the most famous example, uh, he was humbled for his pride. And then years later, um, Daniel reminded Belshazzar of these things when he too lifted up his heart in pride. So here we got kind of, you know, two Babylonian rulers who, um, you know, both both of them uh, suffered from this. Uh, this haughty heart. Uh, Daniel chapter 5, beginning in verse 20. Uh, Daniel says, But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He fed on grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules uh, the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he wills. And you, his son, Belshazzar, 
have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see uh, or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. So there, just a, a strong rebuke against him for not recognizing who God is and where all the good that he has, his very life, his breath comes from. Um, and he was disobedient to that. And he had the example of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Nebuchadnezzar came to realize the truth. He, he, he got the lesson, uh, but Belshazzar did not. Another king, King David, he understood the proper attitude. In Psalm 131, verse 1, he says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Now, of course, David, you know, he, he had his failings. But by God's grace, he had an obedient heart. He had a heart that was, um, that was willing to submit to the superiority of God and to do what God had commanded him. Proverbs also warns us against having a proud heart. Proverbs 18.12 uh, it says, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. And then also in chapter 16, verse 5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. And so we are over and over warned against having a haughty heart, a heart that is lifted up in pride. And again, the Bible also speaks of uh, the uncircumcised heart. Now, what what do you think that that's talking about? I've been running on for a little while. It's... Uh, really, that would be a heart that has not been changed mm -hmm. by faith. Yeah, a heart that has not been changed by faith. Yeah, that's that is uh, a good way to describe it. Um, in Jeremiah. Chapter 4, verse 4, uh, God speaking, he says, Circumcil Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Now, when you just consider like the, the very beginning of that, um, the first thing it says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. What do you think would be the initial reaction of Israelites to that command? If you just have that one phrase. We are circumcised. Yeah, yeah we are circumcised. <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about? We are circumcised. Um, but uh, there, there's often this, this misunderstanding of the, of the external and, um, and what, it, you know, what it's representing in the in the heart and so he, you know he goes on and says remove the foreskin of your hearts um that's that's really what's important um 
Uh, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 41. Again, God speaking. Um, he says, uh, If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity. So he's, he's describing these people who are rebellious against him. And... Um, he says that their hearts are uncircumcised. Uh, again, the you know the people of Israel they would have been physically circumcised, but it's their hearts that are uncircumcised. Um, also, uh, Deuteronomy chapter ten verse sixteen: Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. Um, and of course, um, something that is picked up to a large degree in the New Testament, uh, Paul speaks of this. Uh, the 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 spiritual nature of what circumcision was pointing to in Romans chapter two, beginning in verse twenty-eight, where he says, "For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God." And so. Um, that's the way our hearts should be. Our hearts should be circumcised. They should be uh, renewed by faith um, and not um, continuing in our sinful rebellion against God. And then finally, the, um, the Bible speaks of, of the weak heart, the fearful heart. Um, it's interesting because, you know, when we think of the of the of the hard heart, we think of it being, in a sense, very strong. Uh, you know, a very strong-willed person just refusing to obey God. And although the disobedient will exerts strength in resisting God, it shows weakness when it comes to resisting temptation. Um, an example of that: uh, when Israel heard the report of the land of Canaan, uh, they had sent out the spies, and the spies came back and. And some of them were telling them how uh, horrible and dangerous it was, how horrible and dangerous it was. Um, they, they did not obey God's command to go up into the land of Canaan because of the weakness of their hearts. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 28, um, says uh, that they said, Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying... The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakin there. And so they hear these reports and their hearts melt. Um, just it's, That's a terminology that you see over and over again in Scripture when people are, are fearful. And, and actually Troxel gives a whole bunch of examples that don't really have anything to do with our topic other than the fact that when people are fearful, it's often described that their that their hearts melt within them. And, um, uh, one of the passages, you know, talks about you know that if you're uh, if you're fearful, you you know basically you should get out of military service because you could make your brothers' uh, hearts melt because of your uh, your view or because you because uh, your fear is so evident as you go into battle. Um, and so it's a it's a weak heart. It's a, a, a heart that is it is not resistant uh, to the temptations to disobey God. Um, this is in contrast to a heart that trusts in God. Uh, Psalm twenty seven verse three uh, says, "Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. 
though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Um, there is a heart that is devoted to God, realizing that God is going to take care of me. I need to obey God. I need to seek to do what he says to do, uh, rather than to, to quail in fear uh, when I see things that... That, uh, that I don't like and make me want to choose my own path that seems easier. Any, any thoughts or comments on any of that on term, in terms of the disobedient heart before we move on to the obedient heart? Just a number of pictures we have in Scripture of, of what the disobedient heart looks like. Now, the obedient heart, anybody think of uh, descriptions of the obedient heart that we might see in Scripture? This is probably a, less, a little less likely to be things that stick in your head. Heart of flesh. A heart of flesh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in a sense, you can just kind of do the, the flip side. Um, but yeah, a heart of flesh. Soft heart. What else would go along with that? What would be the opposite of a proud heart? Humble heart. A humble heart, yeah. A surrendered heart. A heart that's willing to submit to God. About the opposite of a of a weak heart. Strong. Sorry. Strong. Strong, yeah. So talks about a, a strengthened heart. So let's let's look at this. Um, you know, Troxel gives descriptions of, of basically a surrendered heart and a strengthened heart. Um, uh, our heart of stone must be broken, and he you know he specifically uh, speaks in terms of uh, you know Troxel brings out you know just the idea that's like we have a, we have a hard heart. It needs to be broken. It needs to be shattered. Um, Psalm fifty one verse seventeen. Uh, it says that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. That's the, the type of heart that we should have, uh, a heart that is surrendered to God, that is willing to recognize our sin and uh, willing to, to just be submissively obedient to what God commands us. Um, Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15 uh, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up. Again, we read this earlier. Uh, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with me, uh, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So that's that's what we should have: is that lowly, contrite heart. Uh, Paul talks about uh, the benefit of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 as he's dealing with problems of sin in the church of Corinth. Um, and he talks about how in, in chapter 7 verse 10, for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So we're not just talking about just grief or lowliness in general, but a submission to God, a recognition of, of our sin and a recognition that God has the authority to command us and a willingness to obey 
what he has said. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Um, again, that isn't uh, just a everybody who mourns for any reason. Um, you know, I, I, my, my uh, Powerball numbers didn't come up, and so I'm mourning. You know, that's, that's not the idea. Um, but it's people who are mourning over their sin, who, who see how uh, displeasing they are to God and themselves and are mourning for that. And God promises that he will comfort those people. Um, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 37 says, Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Um, God turns our hearts back. He uh, causes our hearts to turn away from our sin and to turn back to God. That is the surrendered heart. No longer the stubborn heart that seeks to do its own will, but a heart that turns back to God and seeks Him. And then the Bible also talks about the strengthened heart. The obedient will is committed. Um, It's not uh, a will that simply says, okay, I'll I'll obey God whenever that comes up. Uh, But it's, it's a will that says, okay, I am determined that I am going to obey God. Um, and if you, you know, if that's not your attitude, then when temptation comes, it's not going to be pretty. Um, your your heart should be set on seeking the Lord. First uh, Chronicles chapter twenty-two, verse nineteen says, "Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God, so that the ark of the covenant of the Lord." Uh, and the holy vessels of God may be brought into the house uh, built for the name of the Lord. And so there, um, it's the specific context here in this verse, but the idea is that they need to set their hearts, they need to set their their minds, again, that's a part of the heart, set their minds and their hearts to seek God. Uh, Whatever uh, adversity they're facing in their in their obedience to God, they need to determine, we will obey. We're going we're gonna to do this. Uh, Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, it says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So um, Ezra is like, I want to understand the law of the Lord. And he didn't just say, well, okay, yeah, I'll just open it up and I'll study it. But he set his heart to it. Uh, he was determined. His heart was strengthened to uh, accomplish this. Um, again, uh, Daniel uh, chapter 1, verse 8. I'm sure you're all very familiar with the story of Daniel, but uh, when he had uh, been brought to Babylon, it says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Um, he, he just determined. Um, Presumably, I mean, it, it certainly looks like most of the people that came from Israel, they're like, okay, yeah, we'll eat whatever we want, or, um, you know, whatever they give us. But, but Daniel and his companions, they had made that determination: we are going to obey God. We're not gonna, we're not gonna 
just succumb to whatever comes our way. Um, obedience is not merely about knowing what is right, but also about having the fortitude to pursue it. Um, and we've mentioned this before, but um, even the decision not to decide is choosing a course. Uh, being, a, being passive and doing nothing uh, are commitments uh, of the will and um, and when we speak of those as uh, if you're if you're if you're being passive in a way that where God has commanded you to do something and you're just you're not deciding to do it, we call that a sin of omission. You know, where God has commanded something and you're not doing it. Um, and uh, you think of uh, Proverbs chapter 21 verse 13. Um, it says, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Uh, there, we're, we're told that we should, be, we should be actively trying to help the poor, that we should, we should listen when they cry out. Um, if we just stop our ears and say, well, I'm not going to do anything against the poor, um, but I'm not going to take any steps to help the poor, um, that's not really obeying what God has commanded us to do. Um, and we, uh, we should, our hearts should be strengthened, they should be set and resolved on obeying God, uh, even on things that it would be easy to just kind of just let them go by. It's like, well, I'm not doing anything wrong, I'm just not doing the things that I've been called to do. The strengthened heart is also emboldened. Um, you think of, uh, of what the disciples were like, especially like as we've been going through uh, the the Gospel of Mark, and we're we're coming up to the, to the end here, and we're seeing the way the disciples are reacting when Jesus is is uh, is arrested, and uh, you know we see Peter just you know denying Jesus, and we see all this fear uh, that's happening here. But then you, you look at Acts chapter 4, verse 13, um, and it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And you see there's this, this massive change in the way that Peter and John are behaving, that they are now bold. Their, their hearts are strengthened. They are uh, going out and, and doing what they should be doing. Um, and that's that's the change that uh, that the work of God should produce in us, just this boldness, um, uh, rather than the weakness we saw with the the children of Israel when they hear the report of the land of Canaan, but uh, just a recognition that that God is our strength and we need not fear. Um, we're even uh, told to resist uh, a very powerful being, uh, James chapter four verse seven. Uh, he says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Um, I mean, just when you think of, of the power and cunning of Satan, that's kind of a, that's kind of a scary thing. But uh, James says, resist him. He's going to flee from you. Ben? Well, I was just going to say, you have both factions in that same verse. You're submitting your will to God, mm -hmm. and by submitting your will to him, you're resisting the devil. Mm -hmm. So it's it's the not having a hard heart towards God, but it, it, at the same time having that strength of will to resist the devil. Mm -hmm. 
writing yeah. the same words together. Yeah, that is, that is that is a good point. I I hadn't even thought about that. That it just that submission there is just is is pointing to not having that hard heart toward God. So yeah, you got you got both sides of it there. Submitting yourself to God, but then so you're you're soft toward God, but you're you're hard toward the devil. Um, and yeah, so that strengthened heart uh, should produce that. Um, also, uh, Peter has a similar statement, 1 Peter 5, 9, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. And so we are to resist the devil. Now, as we consider these things, and I guess just ask the question again, does anybody have any other comments or questions about when we we looked at the descriptions of the obedient heart? Okay. So we've considered these things, um, and something that uh, you know we've talked about uh, multiple times is that uh, as we as we talk about the 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 um, the will of the heart and the desires of the heart and the mind of the heart, that these things are intimately connected to each other. They're all tied together. Uh, the Reformers and the Puritans, uh, as well as their theological descendants, believed that one could not speak of the will without addressing the spiritual state of the heart. Um, what use is the, uh, What is the use of talking about free will if it is inseparably connected to a heart enslaved to sin. Uh, the will cannot be discussed in abstraction from the heart. Uh, it's, a, it's a part of the heart. Um, and so we want to look at a, a few of these things that, that show that these things are connected. Now, the, the will and the mind are connected. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 7. It says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Um, and so there we see just the idea of, of the mind uh, that we've talked about in previous weeks and the will here in its inability to submit to the law of God. Uh, similarly, the will and the affections are connected. Um, freedom is not the word that is used in scripture to describe a heart that is infatuated with, with sin. Rather, the depraved heart is enslaved to its desires. Titus chapter 3, verse 3, uh, Paul says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And so... These, these passions, these desires of our heart, they've enslaved us. And when we're slaves, we don't have a free will. Our will is trapped by our own passions and desires. Um, so the, the will and the desires are connected. Um, John chapter 8, verse 34, uh, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Um, these things are just intimately connected. Now, the, the indivisible relationship between the will and the other chambers of the heart is underscored by the repeti <clears throat> repetition 
of the phraseology with all your heart and with your whole heart. These, these, uh, these, this terminology just pops up over and over again in Scripture um, in just a variety of ways. Um, there's, a, there's a whole list of them. We're just going to just run through these here and see what, uh, what the Scripture tells us. Uh, God commands us to serve him with all of our heart. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And oftentimes, with all your soul is added uh, as well, and sometimes other phrases. Um, We are to obey him. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 2. And return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. We are to return to him. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth uh, from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. To be faithful. First uh, Kings chapter 2, verse 4. That the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. To covenant with him. Second Chronicles chapter 15, verse 12. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. Giving thanks. Uh, Psalm 86, verse 12. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Keeping the law. Psalm 119, verse 34. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Trusting God. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Seeking God. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Rejoicing. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. To love God. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's a, that's a long list there. You can see it's just like over and over again, this type of terminology uh, pops up in the scriptures. What's the point of that? Why why is this why is this terminology used over and over again in scripture? Uh, I was gonna say obviously because we have the different parts that we can serve God with mm-hmm. um, one or two, but not the third. I heard Dr. Troxel in an interview, he was talking about Solomon and how it says, I don't remember what the scripture was, he didn't serve God with the whole heart. Um, and, you know, he had the wisdom, but his heart was led astray by his desires for these four women right. wives. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it can be very easy for us to to think we're we're going in the right direction with some parts of our heart, but um, but you know maybe maybe our desires are pointing some other some other direction, or our will is pointed some other direction, or our mind is pointed some other direction. Um, but yeah, the the point of this language is that these things demand all that we choose, all that we desire, and all that we know. Um, this big long list of things. It just requires our whole heart. Our heart's will expresses itself deliberately in the thoughts we uh, consciously entertain, in the desires we intentionally inflame, and in the direction we persistently follow. All of these things need to be uh, just welded together in our in our obedience, in our love, in our rejoicing, in our covenanting, all of these things that, that are to be done with our whole heart. All of these things need to come together. And this helps us to see what Paul means in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. And we've looked at this passage, I think, several times already. Um, where it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now he talks about the mind here. Is he talking about the mind exclusively? Think of the language here. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Sounds like they're choosing the things of the flesh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're setting their they're they're setting their minds on these things. Their will is involved. This is not just like this is what they just happen to think about. But these are the things that they're choosing to set their minds on. So their will is is tied in here. Um, and then are the infection affections involved as well? May not be explicitly clear in this particular verse, but if you I mean if you look down to verse 15, um, he says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And there you can see that our affections are involved as well. Um, we're not in in fear uh, in, the, in the state of slavery, but we are in this uh, just joyous uh, rapture in, uh, in viewing God. As uh, as a, the great benefit to our lives, um, so our affections are involved as well. Um, and it's I mean I think you can even in places where it's not explicit, just over and over again in Scripture, as we are commanded to walk uh, before God, that all of these things come together: our um, our will, our desires, and our minds. All of these things come together. And that's why the scripture talks about uh, these things being uh, something that, that we need to do with our whole heart. So all of these things are tied together. Any any other thoughts or questions? Ben? Yeah, sorry. No, don't apologize. Uh, I, I was just thinking how, it, it, I mean, this language has kind of come up throughout this, this particular class, but the strength of heart, there is an aspect where we are supposed to discipline ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you look at, it's called the spiritual disciplines. Sometimes mm-hmm. we have prayer, reading the word, even fasting. It's not something we necessarily 
do today too much, but it is, I mean, it's in the confession. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, where you are submitting your desire, submitting your will, uh, your mind, mm-hmm. to God in these things, and working hard. Just Paul, I keep going back to that verse in Philippians, Paul says, you know, I work harder than anyone else. And there's other times he talks about how hard he works. Obviously, he continues to say it's the Spirit who's at work in him. Right. And we can't do this without God. Right. But there is a sense where God has given us agency still. Mm-hmm. And it's, we need to work hard. I need to work hard. I, mm-hmm. I fail at this. Yeah. Every single one of those areas at times. Right, right. right. Yeah, and I mean, that's you know it's part of the reason why we're, we're looking at these things. Because, I mean... In some respects, you can look at like this here in Romans 8, and you can you can just see it as like, okay, well, here's these two categories. You know, either your your heart is you know set on the things of the flesh, or your heart is set on the things of the spirit, and it's just like you know you know it's just on off switch. You know, here it is. But the reality is, is where we walk in our Christian life, um, even though we're on the side of setting our minds on the things of the spirit, we don't do that perfectly. We there's there's still that corruption that's in us that tempts us to live like we're not really Christians. And so that discipline is necessary as we seek to, in our lives, look more like what we have been called to. So yeah, that's a that's a great point. And, and to that point, you know, whenever you flip that switch, on either side of that switch are two things. It's not only putting off something, but also putting on something. So it's not enough to resist, you know, the sin. If we, if we resist all those things that are evil, we still will fall because we're not setting our things on the things that are of God and of right. the Spirit. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, is, it is definitely a, a putting off of the things of the flesh and uh, a putting on the new man, the, the things of the Spirit. So, yeah. Thanks, Brett. Don't mind that. But, so, yeah. So, that's... All these things are, are tied together. Um, but as we've seen, um, our wills are affected by sin. Um, that's something that you know that pops up in various places as we've as we've looked at uh, um, at the at the descriptions of the, the disobedient heart. Um, and you know we saw that our that our minds are affected by sin, that our desires are affected by sin. Um, but it's also the case that our wills are affected by sin. Um, and so next week we are going to continue to examine that specifically more closely, that, that our wills uh, are very much affected by, by sin. Any final questions or comments? Okay, let's, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, uh, we just thank you for your graciousness to us. We thank you uh, that you have not left us uh, with our hearts in rebellion against you but that uh, you have by your great power changed our hearts you've taken out the heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh and god i just pray that we would be disciplined that we would seek more and more to live lives uh, worthy of the calling with which we've been called that you would conform us to the image of christ uh, so that you would be glorified in your church i pray these things in christ's name amen